0: Good morning everyone, it's great to see you today, great to see you. I'm excited about today, we're really going to get into it and um, let me just say that uh, today we're going to be taking a look at this idea of working the system and we learned last week that it's a phrase that we use in business and in politics um, and and maybe even in relationships, thanks Scott. Man, is this this a good looking man or what? I'm telling you what, I'm sorry. (laughs) I don't mean to objectify you, but man, that beard and everything is just rocking, man. Um, um, So this whole idea that we work the system and we, we do it, and I'm not saying this, it's all evil or anything like that, but we do work the system in business or in money, and, and it gets a little dangerous when we start working the system in relationships with people. We work people to achieve our personal ends. It gets a little dicey, you know, like a, a guy dating a girl and trying to work the system. You know, we know how that all plays out. Um, when you're in college, you can work the system. I just couldn't work the system. Um, just, you know, I just didn't know how to do the papers and I didn't know how to do the study. I knew how to roll the papers, but I didn't know how to write the papers. Okay. So that was, that was my problem there. Um, so when we talk about working the system, a lot of times it can be something that we do in a negative light. And that really comes to the issue of our Christianity that we just, uh, we offer you, and I have to say I'm part of the problem, is that we will offer you a system of God without offering you God. And so we'll be like, hey, you know, and the way you can check this out is what a church requires you to be a member of it, Um, is that usually they will put forth their system and not necessarily their beliefs, that may be a separate document, but the five things you got to do to be a believer, I mean, be a member of their church. And usually, it might tell a little bit about their system. And usually in there, like number five or number one, whatever, will be about how much money you give, okay? And, and I'm not saying those things aren't part of how we express our relationship with God and we do life together, but that will not produce what God wants to produce in our lives. God, God uh, Jesus said, follow me. He did not say, implement me. That's not what he communicated, that we are to follow him, but not to implement him. That's that's the whole thing. And and for a lot of us, we are implementing this. Instead of, um, he called us to be followed based instead of formula based. And a lot of us have gotten caught up into the formula. We've gotten, you know, and and that's what we did. and, And it just didn't turn out as good as we thought or hoped it would be. That's why Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. There, is, there are things to learn. There are systems of learning involved. He says, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. What a beautiful combination of this idea of relationship and system together. Because when Christianity is done all by itself as a system, it becomes the Ultron of the Marvel Universe. It becomes something incredibly ugly when we separate it from a personal relationship with Christ. But rather, the system that we do have in Christianity emerges out of like honoring and learning about him and protecting that relationship. It emerges from the relationship. It isn't the definition of the relationship. It doesn't create the relationship. So I was looking for a way that maybe Jesus taught this because it's really good as a pastor to have some Bible verses that back you up a little bit. And so I was looking for a story that maybe Jesus communicated this difficult balance between the organic relationship and the system part of it. Because we know they're both there, but we need to get them in the right order. Well, sure enough, Jesus taught about this. In a very familiar passage of scripture that he talks about himself in relationship with people out of John 15, he presents it in this metaphorical kind of way. He said, I am the true vine. And my father is the vine dresser. Every branch of me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it so that it may bear more fruit. So now we've, we've got ourselves a vine. We got ourselves a system. But we've got ourselves a life-bearing system. We've got ourselves a system of relationship, things and being connected to each other for a certain kind of outcome. And Jesus says, abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches, and he who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. So your system is not going to work unless it's connected relationally. It's really important to realize that. Being connected in relationship with Christ is absolutely essential. Now he's gonna say this next statement and then this next statement, I don't want you to confuse that he's talking about hell here. We're in the middle of a metaphor, all right? But he's talking about what happens when we are separated from a relational-based system as opposed to just in a system. He says, if anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away as a branch and dries up and they gather them and they cast them into the fire and they are burned. I think we all have felt that place where we get disconnected from a pursuit of relationship with God and we get caught just into the systems of it, but we're not into the relational part. We, we experience that dry part, um, uh, combustible uh, part of our faith. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask what you wish and it will be done for you. My father has glorified this, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. So he gives us this incredibly beautiful relational systems metaphor. And at the heart of it is this word abide. I really like it. It's not the word work it. It's the word abide. It's kind of like this, um, and it's in a verb tense too. So it's something that we're actively doing, connecting Remaining in something, and many of us don't have vineyards around us. So I think the Charleston area provides a beautiful picture of the same metaphor. And these, uh, if you look at the Angel Oak, these massive organic creations that are surround the low country, about all these giant branches that are connected into the trees, and they're absolutely gorgeous. But you can see that when a branch is rightly connected to this tree that there's a flourishing that goes on. There's this, this, this the leaves begin to happen. In my yard right now, the, the oaks, and I don't understand the oaks because there's so many different kinds of them. So some of them are really doing their thing in March and cover your car with yellow pollen. But now I've got the ones that are putting out the Cheetos, you know, the Cheetos that are on your, your front yard. I got Cheetos everywhere. I mean, in the tree, but those Cheetos represent a healthy ecosystem. It means that the tree is rightly abiding within itself that the branches are connected to the to the root of the tree, and the tree is actually operating and it's this beautiful picture of flourishing. but when the abiding ends, the branch stops growing um, and and all the healthy resources that were necessary look, look, uh, Joshua, can you give me that that branch because this is really what happens to us is that we talk about God, we talk about the Christian faith, but thank you so much. That that what happens is we end up with this system. And 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 this is what it looks like. This is what Christianity looks like when it becomes disconnected from an active relationship with Christ. And yeah, you could say, okay, you know, there's structure to it, and there once was life to it, and, and once you were walking with Christ and full of his spirit and, and bearing much fruit in your life, but something comes along and separates it. And, and what separates us from Christ, and I'm not talking about whether we're going to heaven or hell type of separation. I'm talking about that relational disconnect that you can have even in marriage, where you let time go by and the fruitfulness of the marriage seems to disappear for a while. But I don't know. Uh, um, Something uh, that maybe God allowed to happen into our lives that we just kind of get angry, we break out the chainsaw and we just disconnect for a while. Maybe there's a storm of life that snaps the branch that we allow some things to bother us so much that it, it breaks us away. Bottom line is this, we end up like this and the problem is we go into work and we tell everybody, you need Jesus in your life and this is what we offer them. Oh, you need to become a Christian, you know? America needs to be great again, you know? And, and, and this is what we offer them. It's like, well, it sounds, it, it, yeah, I could break the DNA down saying that one day this was an oak tree, but it's, fair, it's really quickly not becoming an oak Matter of fact, it won't bear fruit. You basically could end up turning this into a really good, what they call in the South, the old days, the switch. You, you could beat somebody with this. And isn't that what we end up doing with Christianity? Is we end up beating people with a system, but we can't show them a flourishing relationship with Christ? So this is maybe, maybe what's happened in your life, is that it's kind of gone barren, or, or maybe um, you've become more combustible than reproducible. See, that's not reproducible. It's lost all ability to be reproduced. It no longer can bear fruit, but it can be burned. So I thought about the scriptures and began to think about what Jesus could be talking about. And I went from kind of cover to cover, the whole revelation of God in scripture, and think about what does Jesus want us to abide in when he says, Abide in me. And so I look for things that are Jesus, that are at the core essence of who he is and how he communicated himself, not only in the gospels, but in all of scripture. I believe we, I kind of came up with these, and maybe you could come up with a couple more. That we abide in his story, we abide in his words, we abide in his promises, we abide in his empowerment, we abide in his example, we abide in his principles, and we abide in his mission. Now you can begin to look at that list and see maybe where there's a little bit of a break in the branch for you. Maybe where there's a little bit of a disconnect between you and God. But I believe that these things are essential to Jesus. His words, his promises, his empowerment, his mission. I, I don't think those things are changing. I think those things are immutable. They are who he is. And, and so those are the kinds of things that, that we need to target. So over the next couple of weeks, we're going to be looking at this. This is the system. But it's not just a system, is it? It's abiding in an organic relationship. And so this is the organics and the the way that that organic relationship is worked out and lived out. So I want to take a look about what it means to abide in his story. When we say abide in his story, now what you may be thinking immediately is that I need to read the Bible more. And you would not be wrong in, in that, but that's not exactly what I mean. But we do need to rediscover Jesus in the Gospels and, and look at the moments of his life. But I'm looking, I'm talking more than just a systematic remembering of the events of the life of Jesus or what Jesus did. I'm talking about who Jesus is in the Gospels. Finding out more, what is he about? What's his, like when you say to somebody, what's your story? What's your story? I mean, you're not just asking them, what do you do for a living? Or how many kids do you have? When you say, what's your story? You're looking for something essential about the person, soulless, something at the core of who the individual is. So when I talk about that, we're talking about the story. And Jesus is a better story. And we're called to abide in his story. Today, people have lost story. And there is... A really big emphasis now, if you, you stay on the, the edge of how things are being communicated, if you look at what Disney's doing, if you look at what Marvel does, if you look at, 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 at how people are communicating, everybody's now talking in story. It's, it's a very artistic language and it's very cool, I love it. I've always bought into the concept of narrative and understanding the power and storyboarding your story, you know, and, 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 and understanding story. And so it's very important. It's not a little thing. Jesus is the better story. But what we're doing now, culturally, is we're looking for story. We've had so many things pulled out from underneath us over the last couple of years, especially during the pandemic, is that uh, we're not sure what the story is. We saw the issue of racism in America, and we weren't sure what, what is the American story. Uh, we're, 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 we're not exactly sure about the story sociologically right now. We're, who are we? What are we? How do we define ourselves? And things like that. So we, we're looking for story. Every one of us are looking for story. And so um, we look into culture and try to find one. Your story may be different than somebody else's. Um, Star Wars may be your story. And I know, I know you think that's ridiculous that I would use Star Wars, but Joseph Campbell, one of the lead, uh, he's dead dude now, he was one of the leading philosophers on mythology, uh, said that what m- America needed was no longer the Christian story, it needed a better mythological story. And he, on all of his, his academic prowess, said that the Star Wars story is probably the story that America needs to adopt. But he did. He was right about this one thing, is that people can't live without story. You need to have story. It's, it's, and that's why scripture is loaded with a story, that Jesus is story. But my point today is that he is a better story. And also, I want to challenge you to find out, have you left that story? Are you like this piece of wood that's just sitting over here and just decaying, but yet you have a form of uh, godliness, but you kind of deny the, the essence and the power of that story in your life through the work of the Spirit? Maybe today's sports is your story. It's all about athleticism, or maybe about losing weight or staying in shape or being beautiful or trying to become beautiful or whatever it may be. Um, in our culture right now, sexuality, sexual identity is story. And as much as it's talked about, and as powerful as it seems to impact everything, it seems like, well, that's got to be the story. It's all about your gender, or whatever you pick to be, or whatever it is. But But it's like, okay, so now it's all about sexual identity. Okay, that is part of a story. But is it the story? Is it the root story? How about your job or success? It's like, well, yeah, I'm this or that in life, and we will, if somebody says, so, so tell me about you, uh, Scott, what, what's up about you? Well, you know, I'm an architect. It's like, oh, really? Okay, we're gonna start, that's your root directory. That's your, that's your grounding. That's your story, is you're an architect. Well, it could be one of the things that you do, but is that your story? Is there not something else to you? Is, and, and so for a lot of us, our story becomes our profession. Or... Our ethnicity, or the color of our skin, um, or the injustices that have been done against us. That can become our story. And I'm not saying that some of these elements have, some of these stories have bits of truth, but are they a better story? Are they the story of our lives? But you will find a story it may be the story of how your father did you wrong, and you live the rest of your life based upon that story. And today, God wants to challenge you about, are you abiding in the Jesus story, the elements of his life? Here's a couple of popular stories. And I'm not, I'm not here to... Um, well, in one case, the third story, yes, I am uh, going to attack the story. But I just i want to kind of maybe help you see that maybe your story is not as Jesus as you may have thought it was, you know that maybe it's turned into a different kind of story right now. But, so I pulled, I pulled three popular ones. I didn't make these up. These are real. Uh, the first story that's really big today is called Be True to Yourself. You can get T-shirts. You can see road signs. Be true to, this, true to yourself. Our story, the way that we see it, way we experience it and the way we tell it. I, I call this self-authoring, is that we're a book writing itself, okay? It, it, I mean, just visualize that. Uh, visualize a book with a hand writing its own, on its own pages, and that you are your own story. Um, God's not writing my story, but I write my own story. It's a story of individualism, self-affirming, and personal freedom. That's what that story is about. It's, it's walking into the room and saying, I have chosen to be unapologetically me. Is that me is the, the story of ground and being. You know, that, that's where we start. See, it's funny, Descartes said something like that. He said, I think therefore I am. See, and Descartes was right. You think therefore you are. But what Descartes also knew, and it was the problem with it is that I don't know that you are. I can only think and know that I am, you could be a mirage. And being true to yourself is really saying, I will will live as if none of the rest of you exist. My trueness to myself is the ground of being and I will live this story out. Any other story, even a story of we, becomes the enemy of the story of me. You start putting we's in there, You gotta, then you find yourself at conflict with other me stories. Here's some of the things, and this may sound I'm just being a pragmatist, kind of challenging you about maybe you bought into the story. The me the problem with the be true to yourself story that any universal hierarchy of responsibility and accountability is rejected as authoritarianism or oppression. I know that was a mouthful. But any other story that calls you into responsibility to be a good citizen or a good person or into accountability will then be viewed as authoritarianism or oppression. You don't have a right to tell me and, and anytime. So, so that whole hierarchy is, is totally destroyed as opposed to the Jesus story where we're told that Jesus is the son of God hierarchy Submitted his life to the will of his father, accountability, for the saving of the we, not his personal me story. Do you see when you break that out? A simple thing that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son so that we wouldn't perish, but that we could have... I mean, that is so anti-be-true-to-yourself story. I mean, if Jesus is going to be the true-to-thyself story, why would he have even done this? Why would he have even gotten involved in our lives? I, and I'm gonna say this, and I, again, I'm trying to maybe jar you a little bit to see if your story's gotten maybe a little, that you're not really abiding in the vine, abiding in the tree. That the true to life self story is, is pretty arrogant. I, I was trying to think of a nicer way to say that but it's pretty arrogant and selfish. And here's here's my reasons for it. You derive your light, heat, and energy from something that is not you, the sun. You derive food, shelter, water, beauty, and room to roam from something that is not you, the earth and nature. You derive community and belonging from something that's not you, it's called others. You derive freedoms and liberties from something that is not you. That's called social order. And then you're gonna walk into the room and say, I'm gonna be true to me. When there is nothing about you that happens without relying on the hierarchy of other things. Do you see how that could be interpreted as a wee bit arrogant? and a lot of selfish. Living the true to thyself story will never produce a stable identity, a real morality, a reproducible system of justice, or a love that sets you free from you. You're just gonna, this this is your best right here. This, This branch, disconnected, not bearing fruit, Not benefiting anything, that is is the best. Being true to thyself only produces. If the story begins and ends with me, then there is no universal dignity. Your dignity is a mirage. There is no ultimate hope. There is no solid grounding. And there is no sustainable community. Because we're only going to get along as long as you affirm my personal self. So, just think about that. Maybe I I understand it's like be true to yourself, I, and I'm not saying there it isn't true to a degree, but it's not the tree, it is not the vine, it is not the story. It may be an element out here on a branch someplace, but it is not the story, and it is definitely not the Jesus story. Second, second story that I that is really big. And this is, I'm basing this based upon book sales. iPod, I mean, uh, what are they called? Podcasts, what people are listening to, what people are purchasing. And so I'm not just making these up because I'm like anti this or whatever. You could abide in what's called the whatever makes you happy story. Um, Jordan Peterson defined it this way. It's a shallow boat in a very rough ocean. Because there are gonna be many times in your life when they're not gonna be happy. And they're, and they're not just gonna be days. They're gonna be years when life becomes difficult. And what are you going to do then? And then in the midst of re- failure and rejection and guilt and shame and regret, which we all have, on top of the gravity of suffering that we all experience, how are you going to live something with meaning if it only is meaningful if it makes you happy? It's, it's like the other day, me and Susan went out on a kayak ride and, and, and I rushed her out the door. It was like 6.15 in the morning. And, um, and why? It was because the water temperature was different than the air temperature and there was a mist coming up and the sun was in the right place and it was beautiful colors. And, and so as it was coming up, but I knew this. In one hour, it was all gonna be gone. As the sun came up and heated up the surface of the water and the air, the surrounding air, that this beautiful thing was going to disappear. And we need to realize that, is that happiness is like a vapor, that when the heat of life occurs for every one of us, if happiness, if the vapor is all you seek, it usually disappears about 10 o'clock in your day. And how are you gonna live the rest of your day without meaning? without purpose. Or how about this? Um, Why do we look for happiness only in the things that we can experience instead of the positive things that we can do? Saying no to oneself occasionally for the sake of others is something to be happy about, even if it doesn't deliver the feeling of happiness. I have had a a short time to observe life, and and I... kind of wrote this in a way that I I think is true, experientially true at, at, at most. That the sacrifices of life that are necessary to make life fulfilling and meaningful for you and for others may not cross the threshold of happiness often. That if you really want something meaningful and purposeful to happen in your life and then beyond being true to yourself, other people's lives, There is a real possibility that you might not cross over the threshold of happiness often. So you have got to decide what you're doing with your life and what you're living. What is your story, dude? What's your story? What are you about? Happiness is not anti-God. It's just never the target. Jesus taught it this way blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven now in an english translation you could translate this happy are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven but i want you to find out that happiness is a reciprocal it's never the target these people are doing other things than pursuing happiness okay so it's never like our like we say in our great american doctrine the pursuit of happiness I mean, I've got to be honest with you, I'm American all the way. If we went to war, I would, I would beg them to let me take up a rifle and, and go again and be in the military again, and I would love to do it. But you know what? If America's all about the pursuit of happiness, that's probably why we, we're looking the way that we're looking right about now. Because it is a vain and shallow. Wouldn't it be great if all those documents said, the inalienable right, the pursuit of character, the pursuit of purpose and meaning. No, 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 let's not, let's just make it the pursuit of happiness. Thank you, Thomas Jefferson. But, for a lot of us, that's the way that we live. But Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for this is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the gentle, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Not aim for happiness, for they shall be satisfied. With what? Not happiness but with righteousness. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are those who are peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. You see, they're not aiming for happiness. They're aiming for something substantial, something meaningful, something of perfect, something a part of the Jesus story. Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for this is the kingdom of heaven. It's like, what? You're saying I'm crossing the threshold of persecution, but yet that's better than, than pursuing happiness? Yeah, yeah. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad for your reward in heaven is great for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. I'm not saying happiness is evil. I'm just saying it's, it should never have become the story and let me just say this to you. Um, if, if you are abiding, and I'm not gonna ask you to do me a favor. If you are going to hold to the, the story true to myself, sorry, sorry, dude, I'm, I'm just gonna stay with this story. Or if you're gonna stay to the, the happy story and you're just like, hey, can you just do me a favor? Could you let, let someone know before you marry them or before you start dating them? Let them know that it's all about you being true to yourself and about you being happy because that other person is going to be sacrificing everything to accomplish the impossible. That poor dude or that poor gal that you decide with your true to yourself and be happy story, oh, they're gonna have to give up them to keep you and they're gonna have to do everything to make you happy and it's all going to be impossible. So just let them know up front, run, run. A person who lives by those two principles will never be an effective citizen of any society. There'll be a branch left all by themselves, fallen in the woods. Then there's the third one, and I'm coming after this one really hard, okay? It's because when we want to be true to self story, then we got the happiness story, but then there's the other option, a different Jesus story. It's like, oh no, no, I'm abiding in the Jesus story, but I, it's just a little, I tweaked it a little bit. Um, and this is that we change the story to be the one that I want. And we do this one of two ways. First one is we do it via a merger. And this is what most people do. We combine the Jesus story with my story, and we kind of make up a new story. It's kind of like what we did back in the, like the 14th fourth century is like, okay, we got all these Christians and we got all these pagans. And so let's take the resurrection story and combine it with an Easter story, with a Roman story and with a Greek story and a Celtic story. We'll put them all together and we'll call it Easter or Christmas. And we'll, well, we'll, let's do bunnies. Let's throw bunnies in there too. and, And we'll just do put all these stories together so that the Jesus story gets merged with another story. He said, well, that's kind of ridiculous, but yeah, maybe it is. But we do this also by parsing out parts of his story and our story, and we put them together. I saw it on a TV show. I was told about a TV show that, that apparently these couples are flown to an island, and they date a little bit, and they get married, not seeing each other or something like that. Or they, they kind of like a hook up for a while and then decide if they're going to marry or not. I'm sorry I'm getting it wrong. I'm sure I'm getting one show right. I know this show has been done somewhere sometime by somebody. But it's it's funny, one of the contestants apparently rejected the guy because after they were hooking up, she found out he wasn't a Christian. It's like, I can't marry you because you're not a Christian. I'm a Christian. So wait a minute, you've been hooking up with this guy, your story, but now you got the Jesus story and you want to merge them together. I mean, I'm like, I hope he dumps you. It's not me, it's you kind of story. But you know, it's kind of like, it's like we do it all the time. We'll take a little bit of Jesus story and we'll combine it with our story and we'll go with the Jesus story until it becomes not our story and then we jump to ours and we go back and forth. So maybe, maybe Jesus is just challenging you about that today, that you've merged a couple stories together. Then there's this part. It's uh, that was via a merger. This is via a rewrite, and this happens in every generation, where somebody will come out and will write a Jesus story that is totally rewritten. The Apostle Paul even warned us about this, right? because that we will just anything. Some people tell us, well, this is what Jesus is really about, and we'll just take it hook, line, and sinker. And the Apostle Paul says it to his group. You know, he, he visited them, and he presented Christ to the Corinthians, and then he's got to write a letter to them. And he's like, where would you guys go? What story, what story are you watching here? What show are you, you tuned into? He says this to them. He says, for you seem ready to endure if, if a man comes and preaches another Jesus than the one we preached. It's like, wow, you just kind of like hook, line, and sinker for anything that sounds Jesus-y. Or if you receive a different spirit from the spirit you once received, or a different gospel from the one that you then received and welcomed. You tolerate all that well enough. It's like, wow, you're really good about just kind of rewriting the whole Jesus story. And I think we're in that moment right now. Let me give you an example. One of the top selling spiritual books in our country is written by a guy named Richard Rohr and it's called The Universal Christ. Now I ain't the most brilliant guy in the world, okay? And um, I've read a lot of books in my day. I'm into philosophy, I'm into theology, I'm into science. And so in order to speak rightly about this book, I bought this book. I really feel bad about the $35 I wasted on this book. But in my day, I have never read a more pathetic, theologically wrong, philosophically ridiculous. I mean, I, okay, I'm just gonna say it. Because I am charged by God to expose evil to you, I'm not talking about it. I'm talking to you about some preacher in town who has a different view on the second coming of Christ. I mean, I'm not here beating up on, uh, who's that smiley guy from Texas? that uh, Joel Osteen. Yeah, he's, he's a good guy and he's a Jesus follower, you know? But I don't agree with everything about it. But I'll tell you what, this universal Christ thing is bull crap, okay? And Americans are eating it up hook, line, and sinker. But don't take my word for it. Let let me quote you his book. It is spiritually equivalent to reading Fifty Shades of Grey as a marriage enrichment book. That's what this is equivalent to. Okay, let me read you a... You tell me whether or not this is the Jesus story. And I'm quoting verbatim. When you look at your dog in the face... I truly believe that you are seeing another incarnation of the divine presence the Christ. Okay? Your dog. So when your dog poops on your neighbor's lawn and they're angry about it and they come over and say your dog pooped on your well you be true to that story and you tell them Christ pooped on your lawn. <laughs> yeah. You think that's a, be, Americans are buying this book like crazy, more than any other spiritual book in the country. And it's like, oh, finally, the Jesus that I want. Here's another one, direct quote. Don't start trying to love God or even people. Start with loving rocks and elements first. Then move up to trees, then animals, and then humans angels will soon become a real possibility, and then God, who's just a short leap away. As opposed to the Jesus story, when Jesus says, love the Lord God with all your heart, my soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. This guy is reversing the whole thing. Start with rocks, then rub up against a tree. I'll tell you what you get when you rub up against a tree, splinters, you don't get God. And it's like, but we're buying this stuff. We're believing this stuff. Why? Because Jesus said, unless you pick up your cross and follow me, unless you eat my body and drink my blood, you know, unless you, and we're like, "Eh, yeah, that's, that's not, you know, this, the Bible Jesus story is too harsh. It's about sin and dying for sin. It's about a patriarchal system that involves a, 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 a father deity. And all these things are insulting to us. So we'll just repackage Jesus into something a little bit more universal. Richard Rory doesn't believe in the existence of God as we think of him. He believes God is a giant mirror that you look at in order to reflect and to discover your own divinity. Okay? I'll tell you, somebody else was rolling papers when they were in college. And it's definitely this guy. As opposed to the Jesus story. One last quote from his book, because I, I know some of you are reading it, I, I, and I know you're, you're wowed by it, and it's my job to tell you, I would rather you thought Star Wars was truth than to think that this book was truth, because this is an anti-Christ. He says this, every time you breathe, you are repeating the pattern of taking spirit into matter and then repeating the first creation of Adam, meaning that you're like God creating Adam. Every time you breathe out, you are repeating the pattern of returning spirit to the material universe. Not carbon dioxide. You are breathing out divinity. (sighs) Okay? I want my 35 bucks back. He said, you are an incarnation like Christ of matter and spirit operating as one. We will see the angels of things, which is the inner soul of any and everything. So, that the inner soul of a rock is an angel. Now, why do I, why do I, is, is because, folks, we're being offered all kinds of stories. Some of them are theological, some of them are philosophical, some of them are cultural. But there is only one story. And it is a better story. And it is the story of Jesus. And so what I'm challenging you today, what I'm hoping that God is challenging you today is, if if your Jesus story looks like this, it's not because the Jesus story got proved wrong. It's not because the Bible's antiquated. It's that someplace along the line, you got separated from abiding in Christ and him abiding in you. And this is what happens. It happens to marriages, it happens to cultures, it happens in our relationship with God. And if we're trying to get the world to want this, do you see why they don't want it? Because all we're offering them is a switch to beat them with, to show them that they're wrong. It's like, no. Jesus said, I have come that you may have life, not a better stick. So think about it. If you're a parent, if you're a grandparent, have you really presented Jesus to your family? Or have you pre- presented them some, something dead? Think about it personally. Have you switched out the Jesus story? out of his story comes a better understanding of our story I feel so much better about myself because I know myself in the light of his story I feel more dignified finding out that there was something broken about me but something redeemed in me than what I would have discovered on my own out of his story comes better fulfillment to our story Out of his story comes a better ending to our story. And we need to abide in his story. And and maybe God's calling you back. It's like, yeah, you've parsed this part with this part and this, and you tried to create a story. Maybe you switched it out for a different Jesus. Maybe you made it all about you and your gender, or your color, your skin, or your job, or your income. All kinds of stories being written out there. But Jesus says this. I am the vine, you are the branches. And he abides in me, I abide in him. And he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Jesus says, I am the better story. So as we come to communion and we reconnect, that's what we're doing with the bread and the, the cup, is we're reconnecting to the story. And that's the great thing. If you've, if you've been severed from the story... I can't, I can't attach that back to a tree. All right? And like resuscitate it. I can't do that. I don't think science can do that either. I mean, that thing's dead. But grace has the ability to restore life. And so if you're like that, and you once were were vibrant and full of life and followed after Jesus, but it's become this dried leaf separated thing combustible no longer reproducible let me just tell you the grace of God he's there he's ready to graft us into his life he's there to give us his spirit the same spirit that rose Christ from the dead can quicken our lives no matter what we've allowed it to separate from grace empowers you to reconnect to his story so what's your story What's your story? And if it's anything else other than his story, today he wants to invite you to a better story. Father, thank you so much for inviting me and every one of us to a better story. Because our stories are replications of the same mistakes, celebration of the same victories, competing for the same money. Lord God, the same insecurities, the same failures. But God, you have offered us a better story. Christ in us, the hope of a better story. The very glory of God in our lives. So God, we come back to you. We come back to your story. And as we take the cup, as we eat the bread, Lord God, our souls are saying we want to reconnect with the true Christ who died and rose again, that we may have new life so that it is no longer I who lives, but Christ who lives within me to give me joy and purpose and meaning and a few times to even cross the threshold of happiness. We return to you, God.